0: As we've been walking through Titus, we have seen the kind of the main point of this book is that when you uh, apply the gospel, when you take uh, that central truth about Jesus and his work and you apply that uh, to how the church lives, the church becomes this shining beacon that draws lost people to it. So. Uh, We've learned uh, in Titus, in Titus 1, we learned what the gospel was. We learned about what it looks like to center the church's leadership around the gospel. In Titus 2, we learned about what uh, a Christian's personal life looks like when it's shaped around the gospel. In Titus 3, we've learned what a Christian's public life looks like when it's shaped by the gospel. And now we are closing the book. Uh, We're doing verses 12 through 15, very boringly called the greetings section. And I have a a love-hate relationship with these parts of the Bible. I hate them because uh, most of the time I am very tempted to just skip them. Well, Paul's talking about other people, so he's obviously not speaking to me, right? Uh, I don't know who Tychicus or Artemis is, so what's the big deal? But what I love about these passages is that if you carefully study them, they really show a lot of significance. The way way Paul closes um, the book, in some ways, Gives tone to the entire book. Uh, it's funny. It's funny how we ignore these last passages with all the names and stuff because uh, we get in in our entertainment, in our books, and movies and TV shows that the end's important. You know, imagine uh, leaving off the last episode of all your favorite series on Netflix, or not reading the last two chapters of your favorite books. Uh, oftentimes, the end of the story communicates the biggest part of its meaning. Uh, recently, uh, it's really funny. I just, uh, I've committed myself to read the classics, um, or at least to audiobook the classics, and uh, I had to read Alice in Wonderland, which I wasn't looking forward to from my high school memories, but anyways, uh, I, I did it, and it was as bad as I remembered, okay, it just made no sense whatsoever, the whole story is just not, it's nonsense, uh, no plot, no character development, everyone's doing crazy things, you have no idea what's going on the whole time, uh, but you get to the last page, it's literally the last page of the book, and uh Alice wakes up, and all of a sudden, we realize this was a dream, and she tells her dream to her older sister, and her older sister interprets it for us and tells us that actually what Alice is dreaming about and what this whole book is about is growing up. And all of a sudden, the book makes perfect sense. Growing up sometimes makes no sense. Growing up, when, you, when you're growing up, sometimes you feel like the world makes no sense. And, uh, but if you don't read that last little page, uh, you have no idea what the book's about. And uh, I think... If we skipped these last four verses uh, in Titus, we would miss uh, perhaps the main concern of this book and uh, perhaps the main truth that colors this book, and that is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a global message, uh, that in fact uh, the church is a church sent uh, to the nations and that the church's life is colored by this mission. And uh, I don't normally do visuals, as you guys can tell by this rudimentary drawing <laughs> of the Mediterranean Sea, but there's so much movement of people and so many places mentioned uh, in this passage, I just had to subject you all to this. So we're just going to walk through, before we read, I just want to walk through the main, the main actors here and where they are going and what they're doing, and I'll just put their travels in blue, if this blue pen will actually work for me. Actually, I'll do this one. Okay. So first uh, you have Paul. All right. He's writing this epistle and he's writing to Titus. So Paul, if you notice, he said um, he's decided to spend the winter there at Nicopolis. So he's not he's not in Nicopolis yet, which is a city in uh, northern Greece. Okay. He's not there yet, but he's decided to spend the winter there. So he's heading there. So most likely Paul is coming from Rome. Okay. Because he was just in prison in Rome. So he's he's going to Nicopolis. All right. And he's telling Titus. All right. Titus. Titus is in Crete. Okay. He's saying, Titus, uh, when I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, that's verse 12, okay? And Artemis and Tychicus, I don't know where they are, okay? They are probably coming from Rome, if I had to guess, all right? Uh, when I send them to you at Crete, okay? I want you, all right, to come to me at Nicopolis. And uh, I, the reason why, most likely, is because Nicopolis was, was a strategic port city, all right? Paul was planning on going on a mission to Spain, as he tells us in Romans. So he's going this way to Spain, all right? And then we learn in 2 Timothy that he's going to send Titus from Nicopolis to Dal- Dalmatia. Dalmatia. I don't know how to say that. We'll just pretend it's Dalmatia, like 101 Dalmatians. Anyways, okay? All right, and then he says uh, in verse 13, to do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. So Zenos and Apollos were also going from Rome to Crete, probably carrying this letter. And we don't know where they were heading, all right? But the command in this passage is for Titus to do everything in his power to send them. All right, my guess, if I had to guess, they're probably going east somewhere, okay? So all that being said, we got a lot of moving pieces, right? A lot of people uprooting their lives and hazarding themselves traveling uh, on the Mediterranean Sea right before winter and before ships were safe, all right? as we open this book, uh, I think we will see why um, all of this is taking place. All right, so let's read the scriptures. Uh, Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 12, going going to the end. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best, to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way, see that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help in cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we ask, as it was Paul's wish, that your grace uh, Would be with us as we study this passage. I just pray you'd help us to rightly understand it and to apply uh, this to our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. So uh, I've gone through several stages of my life, most of them uh, embarrassing, where uh, I become a little obsessed with the board game chess. All right, and uh, the last time this happened, I learned that there is indeed an app for that. There's a chess app where I could. uh, Suddenly, for free, take chess lessons and play people all over the world in real time. And I learned several things from this experience. First, that I need to be really careful about stupid games on my phone. I deleted it. Nothing to do with today. Second, I'm really bad at chess. Uh, people from all over the world whipped me regularly, okay? Also not relevant. But third, okay, uh, and here's what I think matters for our text today, is that chess is uh, it's a game that's all about position. It's about having the right pieces In the right places. Um, I didn't know that when I first started playing, which is why I got beat so badly, but uh, the best chess players are the patient ones who put, who spend their time getting control over the board and who put the pieces in the right places. Now, I realize no, many of you have never played chess and think it's stupid, that's fine, okay, but maybe in your regular life you've noticed that it's very important to have the right people in the right places. I remember my Chick-fil-A days, and uh, you get one slow person in the wrong place, and it is bad for everybody. You're working in an office, well, you don't put your grumpiest, most socially awkward person at the front desk, right? They get to go do computer stuff in the back. And I'm just kidding, but seriously, all right? Um, In church, in church, right? We need the greeters to actually smile. Like, we need to be pleasant people, you know, right? We don't need me leading worship, all right? That would end the church, I think. Um, You want to strategically, all right, have people exercise their gifts in the places that are most suited for the church to be effective. And uh, at the end of this epistle, uh, what we see in these traveling instructions are that Paul is getting the right people in the right places at whatever cost for the sake of gospel mission. Um, so we'll see, we'll see three things here. All right. First, we have to give our best to the gospel work in the world. We have to devote ourselves to gospel works at home and enjoy grace in gospel community. So first, uh, let's see this command to give our best to missions, to gospel work abroad. Uh, notice in verses 12 and 13, both of them have this little verb, do your best. First, Titus is to do his best. He's He's to uproot his life and go somewhere else, he's to do his best to go to Nicopolis, all right? And 13, he's to do his best uh, to speed Zenus and Apollos on their way, I think by providing financially for them to so they can go on mission work, all right? And um, I, when I was studying this passage, when I first looked at it, I was like, oh, do your best. Like, you know, just, just do your best, right? That's, that's kind of how we say it, how we see it in uh, American culture. Just, just try, you know? And the sense here is not that. It's actually like, do your best, Like, expend every effort. Make this the thing you're about. Do not fail in this. That's the idea of this this word. And uh, it's the first time this word appears, and the only time it appears in Titus. He's been instructed to do lots of things, to teach, to combat heretics, to instruct families. But there's this one thing right at the end that he's to give his maximum effort to. And uh, what is the one thing? It is to strategically get the right people in the right places, to uproot his life, to go somewhere else, to send people sacrificially. Um, just, just imagine Titus, okay? We've, we've talked a lot about how ministering in Crete would be difficult. It was one of the most infamously immoral places in the ancient world, which says a lot, okay? But just imagine Titus, okay? He's got all this stuff to do. He's been, he's been flying solo for a while. It's been hard. People have been battling him, all right? And finally, finally in verse 12, Artemis and Tychicus arrive, right? You would think that it's time for some paid time off, right? It's time to to breathe. It's time to let these guys handle a lot of the work. It's time to have this smooth-running church. Actually, it's time to hazard your life and get on a rusty old ship in the ancient world to cross the Mediterranean Sea. Um, And then... So, so, so just, just think about that. Paul's commanding Titus. He's not, he's, not a, he's not suggesting here, okay? He's commanding him, all right? When reinforcements arrive, all right, and you're tempted to kind of, whew, that's when I want you to uproot your life and make a dangerous sea journey. That's going to be just one step towards another dangerous sea journey for the gospel. Um, notice the purpose, though, here. Uh, I didn't draw this, okay? But uh, down in this corner over here, this is where Jerusalem is. All right? And if you don't know anything about uh, the story of the scriptures, okay, the gospel started right, in the Middle East, primarily in Jerusalem, where Jesus died and rose again. All right? And he sent his people. This is Acts 1. Okay? You're going to be my witnesses right, in Jerusalem and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And primarily, the story of Acts tells us about the gospel heading north and west. It certainly heads towards the south and east as well. But primarily, the trajectory of Acts is this way. Okay? And uh, just notice... Titus is going to go to Nicopolis. He's going to send him north and west to Dalmatia. And Paul is planning on going to Spain. So it's not just that uh, this command is to uh, hazard your life. It's, no, hazard your life for a strategic purpose. We are expanding the influence of the gospel through the world. All right? But it's not just Titus. Notice this here. He's not the only guy required to hazard his life. Verse 13, do your best. To speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way, see that they lack nothing. So the next command here, the next thing he's supposed to give himself to, uh, is to support Zenus and Apollos on their mission trip. Right? The idea of speeding them on their way is to provide for them. You see that at the end of the verse, see that they lack nothing, that they have provisions for the way. All right. And obviously, this is not a command that Titus can do by himself. He's actually one of the workers who lives on support, just like these guys. The idea is Titus' role is to encourage the congregation to sacrificially give enough for these guys to go. And imagine, imagine if uh, next Sunday, okay, I walk up and I bring two young adults up here and I say, hey, listen, these guys are going to Boston, okay? It's one of the most unchurched cities in America, all right? These guys are going to Boston, all right? And uh, they're going to live cheap. They're going to eat rice and beans, but it's Boston, okay? It's going to be $65,000 to support them for six months, all right? And here's what I need, all right? I need the money in hand from the people in this room next Sunday. That's what this, that's what this looks like in, th- in, uh, in Crete. Traveling the sea is not not cheap, all right? Now, I did the math in my head. If there are 50 people in this room, there's probably a little bit more than 50. But if there were 50, that would cost each of us $1,300, all right? Uh, some of you guys have to pull a Luke 12 and sell your possessions to have that money in hand by Sunday. And so just notice, everybody from Paul the Apostle to that baby believer who just got converted and joined the Cretan church, everyone in this passage is called to radically adjust their lifestyle so that the gospel can move forward. I think we have this idea sometimes that missionaries are those great glorious people that are just kind of out there, and if I ever get a dream or a vision where God calls me to do that, I'll go, but other than that, I just kind of, I just hang out, and the idea of this passage, is no, the, the, the work of the gospel going to the nations consumes the whole church's life, it's the fuel that sends the church out, you ask a question though, okay, why, right, what could possibly motivate people to live like this? What could possibly motivate people to sell their stuff, to have enough money to support people? What could motivate Paul and Titus to keep living hard, to kind of slowly die as they pour their lives out, right? And I think the answer um, that's not stated here, but it's in the rest of, the rest of Titus, is that, that God in the gospel, that, that the gospel of Jesus is this breathtaking reality that compels and consumes Christians We read uh, in verse 11 that the grace of God, is or sorry, chapter 2, verse 11, the grace of God has appeared, it brings salvation for all people. Uh, We continue on, we hear about Jesus, our blessed hope, right? The glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. That that the gospel is this story about God's son who gives himself, who pours his life out. Right? to redeem you, to purchase you, to buy you back, to make you one of his sons, to give you the hope of eternal life, to seal your eternity, to give you a, a future full of life and joy. And this reality uh, mesmerized the early church. It focused their efforts. That in, that they knew that a part of their joy in heaven would be going out like this, that, that in fact, every, people, every person they meet, right, it's either on their way to heaven or hell forever, right? There, there's, a, there's a weight to this. There are billions of people in the world who have never heard the name Jesus. And this passage asks us, man, what, what are we going to do about that? But notice uh, in the gospel, uh, the gospel itself includes the command to go, right? Oftentimes we think that the gospel itself means I can sit comfortably I'm going to heaven. The gospel actually includes this command to go when Jesus rises from the grave, right? That, that thing that seals the gospel's authenticity. What he says, his final command of the church is go and make disciples, right? All authority has been given to me. Go, I'll be with you. We are, uh, we are God's people. We are given his authority and we're called to go. But uh, I know many of you, uh, like I have been many times in my life, um, I don't, uh, I don't want to be a chess piece on the board, right? I want to just have my own life. Like, I want to have Jesus and have my American dream at the same time, right? And uh, I kind of need uh, some help. And I just want to give you a gospel verse that's really encouraging to me. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 says that Jesus died for all, right? So that those who might live, sorry, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. So just if you think about Jesus on the cross suffering God's wrath, why is he there? What's he doing? He's there because he wants to free you, right? He 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 wants you to find the life that only comes when you stop living for yourself and you start living for him. He wants to give you a vision for that and empower you to go. So uh, how do we actually apply this? I think John Piper says it uh, really, really well. He says, when it comes to missions, you have three options. Here are your options, okay? You go, right? You yourself go personally, right? You send, right? You sacrificially live so others can go, or you disobey Jesus. Those are the three options. There's only three. You go, you send, or you disobey. And um, let's just walk through those options uh, real quickly. Uh, So you can go. All right, and there's some of you in here, all right? Every missions conference, you get so fired up, you're ready to go, and then just kind of life happens, and uh, it drifts away. And I just want to encourage you, man. If, if you, if you're that person where every time you hear about people in India who don't know Jesus, you start to dream a little bit, take that next step, all right? Um, uh, just, just, just today, just take one more step closer. Uh, think about uh, there's a, a couple of great programs you can start with. The Southern, the International Mission Board has this wonderful program called Journeymen, All right, it's just a year. All right, it gets your feet wet on the field. right, you can go if you're single, you can go if you're married, no kids. Um, Fully supported, don't have to raise support. You just got to pass the application process. And uh, just just look into it. And if you're you're one of those people whose hearts burns every time you hear about missions, just take the next step. Don't let it get snowed under. Um, But I would say more broadly on this command to go, um, I do think we have to really consider that this is a call for us to rearrange our major life decisions around the mission of Jesus. I'll just give you an example that is probably going to fence, well, it just, it might be something you've done that I've done, okay? Uh, for example, okay, imagine you are trying to advance your career, uh, and tomorrow a wonderful job opens up in Charlotte, okay? Most of us, including myself, would make a pro-con list, right? I love pro-con lists, okay? Here are the pros of going, all right, you know, more money, more whatever, this, this, whatever, okay. Here are the cons, I'm going to miss my friends, da, da da okay. And then based on our pro-cons list, which is basically like what is best for me, right, what suits my personal desires the most, right, then based on that, we make a decision. And then once we've made a decision, we'll say we go to Charlotte, okay, once we've already made a decision based on our own desires, right, then we're like, oh, I've got to find a church, you know, like, oh, shoot, I forgot, right. And, and maybe, maybe that's how you end up in Charleston. If I, I, again, I probably ended up here that same way. But um, I just want to say, I don't want to condemn you. I just want to say, you got the decision process backwards. This passage says, the first question when I'm thinking about adjusting my life or making a major decision, the first question is not what suits me the best, but where am I most useful to Jesus? Does taking this job with its increase in pay <coughs> And movement, what, does this make me more useful, more likely to radically rearrange my life around Jesus or less? Does, does engaging in this relationship, does getting married, does make me more likely, more useful to Jesus or less? Because I'll just give you a hypothetical, okay? This, is a, this probably did, did not happen historically, okay? But let's just imagine, all right? Titus has been a single missionary for a long time. He's been a journey monk, as they say on the field, okay? He's, uh, he's been all alone. It's been good. It's been tough, okay? But he meets a girl in Crete. She's gorgeous, okay? And she's a Christian. She got converted, and they really like each other, and they start to fall in love, all right? And he's about to pop the question, and then he gets this letter from Paul. He's like, he's like oh, crud, man, I'm going to Nicopolis, okay? So he, he talks to her. He's like, hey, listen, I'm going to Nicopolis. What do you think? She's like, I ain't going there, you know? I hate that place, you know? I'm staying here, all right? Um, fun conversation, right? Um, what does Titus do? He dies to his desire for, you know, the white picket fence and the two-and-a-half kids, or I guess in ancient culture the seven-and-a-half kids, whatever. Um, but uh, but uh, he dies to his dreams, and he goes and follows Jesus. That's what he does. Um, so I just think here in the call to go, whether we're actually going to go or not, there is a call here uh, to make Jesus and his mission the first and primary concern of our lives to let all the other ones revolve around that one. Now listen, I'm not saying the desire to have a good job that pays you well is not is a bad thing. I'm not saying that um, getting married is a bad thing. I'm married. I have kids, okay? I think about those things a lot, okay? What I am saying is that Jesus and his mission, the gospel moving forward, if you were to be a healthy Christian, if you are to have the joy that God intends for you, that must be your first overriding concern. And some of you in here like me many times, are so frustrated right now in your life, you're, you're, you're discontent. And the primary reason is not because your circumstances are different than so-and-so's over here. It's because you've made those secondary concerns. Where am I in my career? Where am I in my relationships? Am I, am I having personal fulfillment? You've made those things primary. You're living for those things. And um, you, it takes it takes faith to rearrange your life around the mission of Jesus. It takes trusting that what God says is right. But if you do, you will find a joy unspeakable and full of glory. You will find yourself with a deeper happiness than circumstantial happiness. So uh, first, that's going, okay? Uh, What about sending, all right? Uh, Not everyone here is going to go. I think it would be impossible. We don't have the resources for everyone here to go, all right? Some of us should. I hope some of you do. Maybe I might. Um, But uh, if we don't go and we're going to obey Jesus, we have to send. What does sending involve? Uh, In the New Testament, sending always involves radically generous giving. Radically generous giving. Uh, Let me just read this quote by C.S. Lewis. I love Lewis on this. He says this, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure, the money we spend on comforts, luxuries, amusements is up to the standard common among those with the same income as us, we are probably giving away too little. If our giving does not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable giving excludes them. Wow. C.S. Lewis is advocating here that there's no hard and fast rule. Um, I might agree with him, might not, but but he says here that the rule is what you give, and I would say to gospel work, right, giving to the poor, giving to missions, should pinch your lifestyle. Other people with your job and your, your income should be living more lavishly than you. That's what he's saying here. Um, and I would just say... Uh, In Western culture, in a a debt culture, um, we've got to be careful. Many of us have, maybe unintentionally even, we've embraced a lifestyle that has made it impossible for us to radically give. We are straddled with debt up to our eyeballs. We're just making it, barely. Um, And we're paying for things that we don't have to pay for to make it there. We've got car payments. We've got all those monthlies, right, Netflix, Amazon, they all add up, right? Birch box for men, no, I'm just kidding, that's not one, uh, no one knows what that is anyway, sorry. Okay. Um, and, and, and what I would say is this passage calls us, as Dave Ramsey would say, I would think, to tell your money where it should go and not just allow your lifestyle to consume all of your money. To intentionally, radically, till it hurts a little bit, uh, give of your possessions. Practically, for some of you guys, it might mean eating rice and beans until you've paid your student debt off so that you can give. I get it. Student loans are horrible. I got you there, right? You can't, you can't, you can't erase the past, but you can rearrange your lifestyle to take care of it. Um, and if you're feeling grumpy or worried about money like I do uh, oftentimes, my biggest encouragement to you, what's been helpful to me, is to take my eyes off of myself, right, and whether or not I'm giving enough, and put my eyes on the beautiful and compelling things I want to give to. Let me explain that. So oftentimes, I'm either, I'm either thinking, oh my gosh, am I, do, am I giving enough? I read those passages in Luke that are so scary, like sell everything you have, give it to the poor. I'm like, oh, am I doing that? Ugh, I don't want to, right? I'm, I'm, I'm there. Or I'm like, hey, I'm tithing, so the rest is mine. Yes, you know? Um, and I think both of those are wrong. I think, I think the idea of this passage is see the beauty of the mission of Jesus. See the glory of the nations coming to know Jesus through your money. See, that day when you, this will really happen, you will be in heaven and you will meet people who, were, who you've never met before who were converted because you gave sacrificially to missions. But look there, right? And then give. So, uh, we spent most of our time here, but uh, we are to give our best to expending, to expanding the gospel work Abroad, the church is not about itself, right? We are not about just maintaining this, right? The gospel calls us to go. But we're not solely to focus on international missions, right? We can't we can't miss Mount Pleasant. We can't miss reaching Mount Pleasant. Uh, the next command here is: so first, we give our our, our best to missions abroad, but we devote ourselves to good works at home. Look at verse fourteen. And. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Just notice the and here. Uh, th- in, in the original language, this uh, gives the idea. of This is connected, but it's, it's, it's a little bit different. So I think certainly one of the good works here is to give to Zenos and Apollo and send them on their way. But there's more than that. There are lots of different good works uh, notice how these good works are characterized they help cases of urgent need I think they we could say especially in light of last week that they they meet social needs they seek to bless American culture in its darkest places right and there's a consequence here for not doing that you'll be unfruitful um, but just notice what does it look like as we send as or we go like right? what does it look like to really Be faithful to Jesus with your lifestyle here in Mount Pleasant. What does that look like? Uh, It looks like devotion to good works, um, to dirtying your hands so that Jesus looks beautiful, right? To living in a way that looks like Jesus and his personal ministry on the earth. It was always around the lame and the poor, right? Always ministering to them. That looks like that so that you can speak about Jesus. Um. And we spend a ton of time on point one, so I'll just be brief applying this one. I'll just give you two questions to help you here. All right, first is just to help you be honest with yourself. All right, here's a question. What are you currently devoting yourself to? If you took an honest look at your life, how you spend your time, your money, what you wake up thinking about, what keeps you you from sleeping at night, all right, what are you devoting yourself to? What gets your best? What gets your dreaming? you your enterprising, if your answer is anything besides the work of Jesus in our local context, and all that that means, all right, if anything besides it, just repent, just, just ask the Lord, all right, confess, ask the Lord to change your heart, ask him to enable you to let your life revolve around something greater. Second, a question to help you actually do something, what does devotion to good works look like for you practically? Pick, I would say, start with one thing, don't do, like, good works like blasé, general. Pick one good work to start. Maybe, maybe you revive what we talked about all, all, all uh, spring, right? You're three. Three people in your life who are far from God, right? You pick three people. You just focus on them. Spend your time with them. Pray for them. Seek to share the gospel with them. Maybe we maybe start there. Maybe, uh, maybe you send that email you've been meaning to send to that ministry coordinator and get involved in one of the ministries here at East Cooper. Um, but do something. T- take the next step. Get lunch with that unbelieving coworker. Ask that family member to study the scriptures with you. All right, so we give our best to the gospel work abroad, that big mission. We devote ourselves to good work at home, good works at home. And finally, interestingly enough, we enjoy grace in community. If if we just had verses uh, 12, 13, and 14, we could say the point of this entire passage is what uh, the new president of the Southern Baptist Convention just said, uh, or has said a lot. Uh, the church is not an audience, it's an army, right? That's the idea here. We go. We lay our lives down. We go. We devote ourselves at home. But uh, this army uh, is a very unique kind of army. Uh, it's an army of people who are transformed by grace and who will love each other deeply. Um, we're not a bunch of white-knuckled, grumpy-to-be-deployed soldiers, right? Like some of you military guys have told me you can be from time to time, right? We love what we do. We love the people around us. Look at uh, verse, for, 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 the beginning of verse 15. The army loves, loves each other. Uh, all who are with me send greetings to you greet those who love us in the faith. Again, very easy just to breeze by this, but just notice this, okay? Paul's writing this letter, all right? And the people who are with him, those co-laborers with Paul, okay? They're like, oh, you're writing to Titus? Man, we love Titus. Tell him that we said that. All right, there are people thinking of Titus, praying for him, right? This is significant, right? Like the, the idea here is Titus, man, we, like, if you just read Titus, man, Paul has just laid it out for him. It's, it's gonna be intense. But the, the letter ends with, man, you're loved, don't forget that. We're praying for you. you love, loved. I mean, we, we love you. We're in this with you. And then he says, uh, greet those who love us in the faith. Um, Titus is to extend this love to all the believers um, in Crete. That, the, This is a community of love. The church is not a bunch of mavericks, solo guys going out. Um, but notice, it's not just a community that loves, it's a community that's loved by God. The last... Sentence in this uh, passage is a, is a wish we should all have. Let, let grace be with you all. Um, grace is this uh, multifaceted term that we've heard our whole lives, right? I think a, I think a helpful way to um, think about grace is uh, God's smile on your life and everything that means because of Jesus, right? Everything that you gain for God being happy with you. Right? All, the, all the empowerment, all the, all, all, the, all the love, all of those things, everything you get from that because of Jesus, that's grace. And Paul's wish for the Cretan congregation is for as they do all of these things, is for them to experience God's grace, to experience his smile and favor. So irony of ironies. If you want to go on mission with Jesus, you must enjoy grace in community. If you want to enjoy grace in community, you must go on mission with Jesus. You cannot have one without the other. So uh, in almost all of my free time, uh, I have been really enjoying learning about the Revolutionary War. Uh, I'm not, okay, it's not studying. I'm just, I'm watching the the Netflix series Turn about Washington spies, which I would highly recommend. Very good, okay? Very good, okay? Uh, Anyways, anyways. I'm also reading a biography of George Washington, so I am actually, like, reading, okay? Uh, but um, I – i it's easy to forget uh, how incredible the time was when our country was founded. Uh, just very briefly, there's a lot that, that's going on here. But in the late 1700s, okay, uh, a bunch of colonists, British colonists, started off, kind of ticked off at their king for being not cool to them, okay? But – in, in that not being happy with their king, they started having these this radical idea that had never been fleshed out in the world yet. And it was that all men were created equal and endowed by God with inalienable rights. That all people had the right to live free from tyranny. And that idea just spread like wildfire. And that, that's what started the revolution. And um any, anyways, anyways, this, uh, this American experiment, right, that we had been living in and we just kind of breathe like air, okay, that was this radical, like, world-shaping idea that just swept the nation up. And anyways, uh, what is so cool about Turn, it's, it's actually a historically accurate show, uh, and this biography I'm reading, uh, is it just shows people laying their lives down for what they call the cause. You just see uh, soldiers, whole armies going without pay for years. You see civilians risking their lives. Uh, All these these things happen for the cause. And there's this one guy I really like. His name is Nathaniel Hale. And he was caught by the British and hung as a spy. And before they executed him, okay, they gave him the chance to speak last words. And here's what he said. My only regret is that I have but one life to lay down for my country. Wow. Um, And just consider this this morning. If thousands of people in history could lay their lives down just to found a nation, to do something that eventually will end, America will end, right? Um, they, They could give themselves and pour themselves out just for temporary blessings. How much more should we, who have the gospel, who have eternity before us, who have Jesus with us, be able to pour our lives out? Whatever that radical step is for you this morning, take it. Just like Nathaniel Hale, you only have one life to lay down for your Lord. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, uh, we, it is so easy uh, to hear the scriptures, to read them, and to leave unchanged. And we know that that work of changing us and moving us to obey you is, is a work done by the Spirit. So we just plead. Um, in response to this passage, you would come and that you would change our hearts and minister to us and enable us to obey you. Uh, I pray that in Jesus' name.